Well, Lord willing, next week we're going to start a brand new series called Street Smarts. Can you say that with me? Street Smarts. It's about wisdom to have a better life from the book of James. James was Jesus' brother. We're going to go chapter by chapter through that. But this morning, I want to finish up a series we've been doing the last several months called Building Blocks. Building Blocks has gone with the sense, obviously, as you can see these concrete blocks. Uh, when you build a building, first thing they do is they move some dirt, they get it level the way they want it, and then they start putting in concrete and steel. And this series has been, uh, I think, unique in the sense that if you would, if you would follow these precepts, that you and I would have a, a, a better life. It's been about core values. It's been about the main beliefs that drive my life. For example, the most important one is, is my relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. Uh, we looked at another one about the resurrection. How many know, listen, you don't get to heaven without it. it this is the hope of eternal life. Uh, we talked about our purpose in life. We talked about the Bible, about uh, choosing to live by the Bible. I guarantee you 80% of your decisions would be made in life if we just knew the Bible and then would agree to live by it uh, as situations came up. But this morning, I want to talk to you about this last one. It's called stockpile. Can you say that with me? Stockpile. Let's read a scripture. Matthew chapter 6. This is uh, from the words of Jesus, the Message Bible. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was arguably the most important a message Jesus gave. It was inclusive of so many ways. Some would go far, as far as to say it would form the foundation of Western civilization, which is what we see a clash right now around the world. We see a clash not only between the secular and the spiritual. We see as we look across Europe, nations are, are losing their national identities. We see the Muslim world demanding control of nations as they take over. It's their ideology. We're, we see, hear people talk about the desire of a global order, a new world order. Well, what's, it, what's, it, uh, what's hanging in the balance is what we might call the traditional Christian uh, biblical context or heritage that built Western civilization. And the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most profound words that apply to that. But one of these verses say this, Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said, and I want you to say this with me, don't hoard treasure down here. Can you say that? Don't hoard treasure down here. But then he says where it gets eaten by moths. Imagine you put something in your closet and, and a wool jacket and a, a bug eats it. Or corroded by rust. You know, you buy a new lawnmower. How many know if you don't put it in the shed, sooner or later the weather's going to get to it. Or if you buy a nice motorcycle and, you know, one day your bike won't crank. Well, guess what? If you left it out in the weather, the weather's going to make it rust. So he's contrasting here what thieves are able to do. But now notice the contrast. Stockpile treasure in heaven. Can you say that with me? Stockpile treasure in heaven. Now notice the two phrases because he says, don't hoard but stockpile. Earth versus heaven. So it's, it's kind of a contrast with our material world, our financial world. And uh, this is what we're going to talk about. I think we make a huge mistake as we look at how we're building our lives, if we don't include some aspect of the material world that I live in today. Because how many know our material world can affect our spiritual world? Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon or, or money or material things. There's a, there's a vying for which is first. And just as I make my decisions along these foundational lines, I'm going to encourage you this morning to think with a mindset 
that I want to live stockpiling in heaven. Now, when I think about the word stockpile, um, I think of preppers, people who are preparing for a crisis. If you would ask me today and say, Pastor, what do you think outside of spiritual issues, but what do you think is the greatest potential crisis facing America today? I, I would say it's North Korea. Uh, there's a madman behind the helm, and every week or so he shoots another missile, and it goes further and further, and there's more accuracy associated with it. Uh, he's killed his family members. He makes, you know, and he, is, he could cause lots of problems. How many have heard of what's called an EMP or an electromagnetic pulse? Well, what that is, is if you were to take a nuclear weapon, even if it was short range, and shoot it from a barge or a ship, imagine these container ships that come by the thousands to our coasts. Imagine if some rogue nation like North Korea put one on their ship and they exploded it above the nation. What it would do is it would take out the electrical grid. Anything that runs on electronics, it would just wipe it out. For example, your car wouldn't work, your air conditioner wouldn't work, your refrigerator wouldn't think, think, keep things cold. I mean, we've got a problem. You're back in the Stone Age just like that, and it may not last, a, it could last a long time. Well, preppers are people who, who are planning for a crisis. I believe everybody should have, you know, extra food and water. Uh, grocery stores operate by what's called a just-in-time inventory. They've only got enough food for the population for about three or four days, not very long. But we live in this kind of world where someone that's preparing, uh, you know, has water, they have food, they might even have seeds, they've got money, they've got bullets, you know, all these kind of things. Well, that's for the natural. That is prepping for an emergency that I hope will never happen, but I want to be ready if it does. Well, how much more this idea of stockpiling in heaven needs to seep into our consciousness? And this is my seventh building block. And what I want to endeavor to do this morning is simply this. I want to encourage you to be content with less so you'll have enough to stockpile in heaven. Uh, I want to say up front, I don't want anything from you today. No special offerings, anything at the end. But I want to talk to you about your material world. I want to talk to about you about how you're living life on this earth. Because rarely do we stop and think about this question, how much is enough in my life? And I want to start with a little video. It's, it's from a pastor. His name is Brian Lawrence. I don't know him personally, but uh, he was a speaker at a leadership conference at, uh, at Willow Creek. And I saw it about two months, ago, two months ago, and it's been kind of uh, haunting me, if I can say that, in a good way for a couple months. And I thought I would uh, let you in on it because he's asking the question, how much is enough? So take a peek at this, uh, at this pastor, and then I'll be back, and uh, we'll jump in the Bible together. You know, when John Wesley was 18, 19 years of age, he looked at his finances one year. John Wesley. And he said, preacher. how much is enough for me to live off of? He said, I, I, I can live off of 28 pounds. Anything I get over 28 pounds, I will give away to the poor. That first year, he made 30 pounds, lived off the 28, gave the other two away. He says, huh, I will do that for the rest of my life. 28 pounds is enough. Did you know one year he made 1,500 pounds through the sale of his books? He lived off the 28, and he gave the other 1,472 pounds away. John Wesley wrestled with a question that many individuals living in affluent societies never entertain. It is the question of enough. How much is enough house? 
How much is enough profit? How much are enough purses? <laughs> to be fair, how much are enough golf clubs? <laughs> how much is enough? Our church is trying to model this. Corey and I, when we started with 26 people in the living room, we had left a 6,000-person church in Charlotte. Man, we were, it was tight. Vienna sausages and top ramen, that was our best friends those early days. We're scrimping and saving, and there are times in which I thought I'd have to take an extra job to put food on the table, but I'm chasing this dream of inclusivity as a leader, and what does that look like? And then God began to grow the church, and now if you come to one of our weekend services, we're about to launch a fifth service, and it's incredible, and it's wonderful, and our elders recently gave Corey and I a nice raise, and I came home and told my wife, and we looked at each other, and we said, enough. We'd always dreamed of what if we capped our salary here and anything we took over that line still take but spontaneously and generously give away. And here's what we've discovered, not by something I've read, but as a leader, by how I'm living. You know what joy is? It's not buying another $200 pair of jeans, but it's helping to pay for someone's medical bills. That's joy. Leaders, would you look at the way you do business? Will you look at the way you lead? And would you at least entertain the question of enough? Why? As we close, because fundamentally speaking, my Christian worldview tells me that this is the way to live because this is what Jesus modeled for us. In Philippians chapter 2, that wonderful passage, Paul says, look at our leader Jesus who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant and emptied himself and made himself nothing. Here is Jesus. The Council of Chalcedon tells us, fully God, fully man, in one person, without mixture. Don't try to figure that out. And yet here's Jesus, all the status in the world. And what does he do? Humbles himself. I have diamond status with Delta. It's wonderful what diamond status pretty much says. If there's ever an empty seat in first class, I get it. Now, this is wonderful until I'm traveling with my wife who has no status. <laughs> I've had to learn the hard way, me sitting up in first class, popping wonderful snacks while she's chilling in coach is not the best way to build a healthy marriage. <laughs> So here's what I've learned to do. Because of my status, when I'm traveling with my wife, I'll, I'll still get the upgrade, but, but I'll hang out with my wife in coach. I'll sit down next to her, which means I'm sitting in someone else's seats. That person whose seat I'm sitting in will then come and will say to me, hey, man, you're sitting in my seat. He will start barking with me. Now, I'll shut him up real quick <laughs> by saying, I know I'm sitting in your seat, but here, you take my seat in first class. Now, hear me. I haven't lost my status. Still diamond. I just refuse to use the perks for my own selfish pursuits. Here's Jesus, diamond status, chilling in the first class section of the universe called heaven. 
Yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He came down here to the coach section of the universe called earth, took on the form of a servant, walked with us, hung on a cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day. Why? So we could get the upgrade back to heaven. He's been living rent-free in my head for a couple months now. And, and I say that because I think it's a good question to ask. Uh, it's a good question to ask. How much is enough for me? How many square feet? How many horsepower? How many carrots? I don't mean the orange ones. Uh, how, how much of my savings accounts enough? How many shoes in my closet? Uh, how many decoys? That depends on what's in the Max new catalog that's coming out. I got mine yesterday. I hadn't looked. You understand what I'm saying, though? How many acres is enough? Well, I can't answer that question for you, and I wouldn't presume any more than I would presume to tell a woman how, how, how short your dress can be and still be modest. I mean, there's some issues that start in our heart. There's some issues that, that, that become very personal between God and I. But I want you to ask yourself the question today. Again, not because I want anything from you, but because it will help you foundationally figure out what kind of life you want to live. Uh, Facebook reminds me of pictures, and I get these pictures from seven years ago when my daughter was this big, and she would sit in my lap, and we'd snuggle on the couch, and, and today I try to put my arm around her, and she look, you know, she's like, we're beyond that, okay? <laughs> life goes quickly, but if we're living by the right foundational principles in life, how I many know you end up, whenever your end is, you end up in a good place? And this is what I want because I know our financial world affects our spiritual world, our material world. We, we can't help it. I want you to answer this question because if you, it, it, when you answer the question, how much is enough, that will determine if you stockpile in heaven or how much you stockpile. You know what the definition of enough is? It's usually a little more than I have. Do you know uh, uh, people who have more than I do? They're the ones that have too much. I, I've somehow in my mind carved a way for me to kind of escape that. And, and my kind of premise today is, is if we're going to obey Matthew 6 and stockpile treasure in heaven, we've got to come to grips with two questions. Number one is, how much is enough for me? How much is enough for me? And am I willing to live on less so I could have enough to invest in God's work. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a toughie for me. And I don't in any way want to make you feel guilty for a blessing from God. I'm going to talk to you about that. How I many know God is the giver of good things? But yet at the same time, I want to be able to live responsibly. So if you ever feel guilt in this message, shake it off. But if the Holy Spirit speaks to you as he, as he speaks to me, then receive that. Uh, it, 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 when it comes to generosity, I must confess my wife is much more generous than I am. She'd give everything away if I'd let her. Uh, I'm one of these that has lists of things I'd like to buy. Any, any people like me out there? Come on, wave your hand now. Let me see who the honest ones are today because we want to observe the liars in the room. <laughs> of you that are lying and don't need a written list, how many have your list in your head? Come on, let me see there. Come on, let me if I can get everybody. And the rest of you super spiritual ones that are out there, have you thought that if you won the lottery of what you would do with that? Come on, I think I should have everybody now. 
You do know if you win money gambling, it's a 90% tithe on that. It's not a 10. You do understand that, don't you? It takes a little incentive away. I mean, I know you got to be in it to win it, but, but, and I'm not advocating gambling at all. No. Just a little lightheartedness. But m- my wife and I, on a serious note, we have always tried to stockpile a lot. We make more money today than we did when we started our marriage together. But how many know it's not just a dollar amount? How many know this idea of stockpiling, it flows from our heart? Didn't Jesus say where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? Didn't Jesus, when he saw people given the treasure and he watched people give large sums of money and a widow put in two small copper coins, two pennies, and he looked at the widow and said she just gave more than everyone? See, because it's, it, it's a heart thing, but it works itself out in our life. Here's what I've found in my life. I cannot be satisfied with less until I learn to be content with what I have. And one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian, one of the greatest blessings in my life is trying to be content. Because I've had times that I've been content and times that I've not. But by and large, we've been content. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul said this. Paul the Apostle said, I have learned how to be content. He said, well, how do I learn that, Pastor? I think it's just like the Holy Spirit is like a board and a piece of sandpaper. We're the board, and we're just kind of letting God work the rough edges off. But we learn to be satisfied. I think this is the main reason that we say thank you for our food. You know most people in the restaurant don't thank God for their food. Do you know why? Because they thank the USDA. They don't have to worry about it. They thank, they thank the inspection department in Texarkana that goes around to a restaurant, make sure they get rid of the cockroaches. But, 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 but as a Christian, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, my grandmother, when she immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia, she talked about times where there'd be one piece of bread for the whole family or two pieces of bread maybe, but there's another hungry child next to her, but still they would take that bread and they would say, thank you, Lord, for the food that's in front of me. Maybe today you'll go to, I don't know where you'll go to lunch, but maybe you'll go out, Cracker Barrel, Red Lobster, wherever you go, and it's a feast that's before you, and as much as you want, they'll bring to you. But to pause to say thank you to God recognizes that God is the source of this. Well, we've tried to live that way. Uh, Paul went further. Paul said, I know how to live on almost nothing or every, uh, or, or everything. But he still was content. You don't just have to have a lot. If you're waiting to get that brand new fill-in-the-blank, car, pickup, if you're waiting to get a real diamond instead of bling, if you're waiting to get an automatic shotgun rather than a pump before you're happy, you'll never be happy. Because no matter what you have, there's something nicer, better, bigger, or, 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 or whatever. It's just the nature of the world that we live in today. But when we were younger, our first church was in Palestine, Texas. We were, I don't know, early 30s. Uh, it was a poor church. Uh, they were struggling. Uh, we both worked hard. Linnell didn't even receive a paycheck. Didn't have money to pay her. Uh, we didn't have health insurance. Forget about retirement. Uh, but we were happy as a lark serving God. I mean, I mean, splurging for us. Uh, we lived in a little rented house where we could walk to church in the old downtown area. Uh, a splurge for us on a Sunday night was to stop by the grocery store and get a, get a box of pizza rolls and uh, uh, rent a movie. And, and that was as much of a splurge then as it would be today to go out to Red Lobster and then go to the cinema and then go to Cold Stone after it. I mean, but, but, but if you're waiting to get happy until you can finish your date with Cold Stone, you may not make it. Because happiness is elusive. Contentment is a, is a gift from God. Uh, but at the same time, Linnell and I were stockpiling as much as heaven then as we are now. And I don't mean a dollar amount. I mean more of a percentage, a heart. 
We still helped missionaries. We still gave offerings to special speakers. We still tithe. And, and that part of us is where the stockpiling uh, begins. Now, let's, this, this morning, let's talk about what are treasures on earth? What does it mean when Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth? Treasures have to do with my money, my wealth, and my possessions. And be very clear about this. The Bible does not say that money and possessions are wrong. There are some that believe if you go and, and, and live the life of a hermit, that if you go and renounce, if you take vows of poverty, that makes you more spiritual. You know the Bible says in Corinthians that, that, that if you give all you have to the poor but don't have love, you're what? Nothing. You're zilch. You're nada. So, so money is not a bad thing. It's, it's what happens and it's what we do with it and what we provide. And it can be as something as practical as, let's say, if you're blessed in a home. And I, I, we, we were fortunate to be able to have a home where all of our kids had their own bedroom. Well, now two kids are gone, and we have to make decisions sometimes. Are we going to be satisfied or content? Just the only person that comes in that room is the person that vacuums? Or am I going to be happy to let a missionary take a little sabbatical there? Or someone in need to share a room with? The other day, there was someone that, uh, there's a, a friend of ours, a church member, uh, they, they were just in a crisis. And Linnell said, I don't know what to do with them. They can't go back home. It was a medical issue. And uh, we started talking about them staying with us. And then we thought about, well, first of all, we said, who could we get them to stay with? And then we looked at each other and said, how could we ask someone else to put them in their house if I won't put them in mine? Now, it's not always as fun. It's not always as easy when you're doing that, but that's stockpiling. Because if you're not careful, you'll get to a place in your life. And how many know you don't, you don't just wake up one day. You don't just go poor, rich. Incrementally, you increase. And incrementally, all the people around you are doing the same thing. And we don't realize what's happening. But our garage is becoming filled with things we never use. Come on now. Our playground is becoming increasingly larger, and there's nothing wrong with playthings and storage in the garage. But I'm telling you, friends, if you're not careful, when I go in my garage, I don't care what I put in there. If I put something made out of wood in there, it's, it, it warps over time. If I put something that has uh, material on it, if I put box springs in there, I've got a herd of mice living. Are, are you with me today? Now, there's nothing wrong with hanging on to something for a later day, but if you're not careful, you'll become a hoarder and not a stockpiler. And what I want to encourage you to do is become a stockpiler. Money and treasure are not evil things. Be assured, God gives us money for daily needs. I mean, one of, the, one of the things in the Lord's Prayer was give us this day. Lord, give me money for this house payment. If, if you bought a house and you asked the Lord, can you buy it? Is this okay? And the Lord says yes. I mean, that's your daily bread. And I don't care if your payment's $3,000 or $1,000 or $500. If God led you and he said, okay, and you bought that, you know, how many know a car payment is daily bread? So all these things that are a part of life in the world that we live in today. He takes it a step further, 1 Timothy 6. It says, God richly provides us with everything, everything to enjoy. How many like to enjoy nice things? How many would much rather go to a nice hotel than a dump? How many would rather have a car that runs good and nice as opposed to a car that breaks down every 20 minutes? I mean, I mean everybody. I mean, how many, would, how many would like to sleep on a mattress that gives you a backache? No, everybody wants. And what does the Bible say? That God gives me things to enjoy. And this is the rub of this thing because it's not a good, bad kind of thing. It just, it just comes together. 
And this video has made me wonder, am I living with the right consuming daily bread and the right enjoying, or do I need to shift it a little bit? And this is what I want you to think about today, what I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you about today, because money can be hazardous to our spiritual life. Money can be as dangerous as drinking poison. When grandkids finally come along in my world, uh, I, I'm going to have to keep the, the, the poison, you know, out of reach. You know, I spray my grass and things. I'm going to have to get that away from kids. Money can do that because it can become more important than God. Our possessions can become more important. You don't believe me. Matthew 19, verse 16, a man came to Jesus. He's, just, he's a religious man like us. He came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? No question more important. Last night before service, one of our, our, our greeters at the back door, uh, I, I said hello to her, and she said, uh, I want you to pray. My, my, they're going to take my brother off life support. Tears coming down her face. But instantly she said, the good thing is he knows the Lord, and we know he's going to spend eternity. See, when you're in that place in life, and they're getting ready to pull the plug, come on now, it does not matter if you have dish or direct. It does not matter if you have a Chevy or a Ford. It does not matter if you have high heels or low heels. All that matters at that point is, am I right with God? So this guy says, what do I have to do for eternal life? Jesus lists four or five of the Ten Commandments. This guy said something incredible. I've kept all of them. What else do I still lack? And then Jesus looked in his heart and he found an idol. He said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have what? treasure in heaven and then come on and follow me to the pearly gates the young man heard this he went away sad because he had great wealth so was the problem with the wealth no the problem was with his heart and he was holding on too tightly I fully believe this was a test because God no more needed that man's wealth than he needed yours and mine when I gave in the offering as it came by my tithe my building my this my that God didn't need any of that that was all really for my behalf and my opportunity to stockpile. God doesn't need our little bit of stuff, but it's a way that our hearts can align with the kingdom of God. I had a friend last night come up and say, hey, look, when I learned the joy of giving, and uh, he said, I find that God blesses me more the more I give. And it's not a gimmick. It's not a giving to get. But he said, God's the source of it anyway, and I just get in like a cycle or a rhythm with God in this thing. But here's a man that loved his money more than God. James 5 is a concern or actually an explanation. James 5, 2 says, your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. And this corroded treasure, this corroded treasure you have hoarded, will testify against you on the day of judgment. And again, I'm not telling you don't keep some stuff in your garage. I'm just saying, though, is if you don't participate in the cycle of stockpiling, it is affecting you spiritually. How do I stockpile treasures in heaven? Let me be as simple as I can. What I believe in the Bible teaches and how I do it. I pay my tithe, I give offerings, and I help people in need. Because really, you could say all of it helps people in need. Because everything the church does is we turn money into ministry to help people. It is a tangible way of, of helping. They'll have 300 children come to the services this weekend. 
Those 300 kids are hearing about God. You are helping us reach them. We turn money into ministry. And let me show you just a couple things here because I want you to get a sense that of stockpiling uh, this little globe. Here's something that I've decided. Every time on some of the weekends, I look in my billfold and all the dollars that are there, they go in the globe to buy a Bible. And most of them go to buy Bibles in the Muslim world. So we wait, we'll accumulate a couple thousand dollars, then we'll find a ministry that can use it and we'll send it to them. It's stockpiling. Uh, everyone in this room knows that I should do something to help poor children. I went out the other day. I took my wife and I. We went it, it, on the on 4th of July. Uh, we went up to Broken Bow. We canoed. My wife and I, my, my daughter and her friend. So four of us, and we go to a hamburger place, get a hamburger and get an appetizer, and it was 60-something dollars. I can enjoy that, and I should, but I don't want to forget about people around the world, are you with me, that don't have food to eat. Now, this missionary I know in Haiti, our friend Jay Threadgill, they've got 25, 30 churches. They educate and feed children. It's all they get. It's the best meal they'll get, 30 cents a day. So anytime I have change, when, when, when that change gets broken and it's silver coins, it goes in that can. That's just what I do. I should probably graduate to $5 as well, but that's, that's sowing treasure. Keep going. Uh, this is a house the, the church recently bought. Uh, it was valued about $100,000. We bought it for $25,000. Pretty good deal. But we're adding a bedroom to it, and we're going to house uh, four families, four women off the street with kids, homeless, near homeless, take six months to a year with them, really teach them how to live life, how to get a job, how to get out on their own and make it. Where'd that money come from? You. You were stockpiling. We give, the church get. this is what the church does. Keep going here. Uh, this, is, this is a church built in a dump in Mexico. We had a team go down on a missions trip down there. They did some ministry, I think, at first, just taking shoes. Go to the store and buy jelly shoes and then take them down there with these kids that live on the edge of the dump and they built them a church. $9,000, somebody felt moved, 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 let's do that and let's build it, let's make it happen. Someone I know gave $1,000 towards that. You could have bought a brand new set of nice golf clubs for $1,000 and there's nothing wrong with golf clubs. But if the Lord tells you, come on, then that's what you need to do. And one's, one's enjoying and there's nothing wrong with enjoying but one is stockpiling. So somehow you've got daily bread, daily needs, you've got enjoyment, and then you're either going to hoard the rest or you're going to stockpile. And this is all of us. Keep going here. i got a couple more. Uh, that's that church building down there. Very simple. Every week uh, in the spring and the fall during the semester, we go to four apartment complexes in town in the, area, the project areas, and we take church, on, uh, a church in the boom truck. They lower it down there, and Pastor Mike and Bethany and the gang, and they just teach those kids about Jesus. Now, how many know that's irreplaceable to learn about the Lord? But don't you think it helps, too, in an environment? These kids are going to be raised in a world where they're going to have two voices. One voice is saying, you forgive and love people different for you. And one people's voice is saying, you hate people because of the color of their skin. I think they're going to remember this little white girl. Are you with me today? It's not just enough to say that I'm against racism. This is what the church, you and I do, the body of Christ. Well, guess what? That truck, they, it, we didn't get it for free. Where does it come from? It comes from stockpiling. Keep going. I had another one here. I'm pretty excited about this. This is our building expansion. Uh, 
good news. Uh, the structural engineer finally got in gear, and uh, he's the one we're waiting on. Uh, could be by the end of July when they have all the engineering stuff done, hopefully. But somewhere right in there, which means then it's permits, then it's dig a hole in the ground. I mean, that's good news. We're going to increase the size of the sanctuary by 50%. I mean, add all sorts of stuff that's needed. I mean, it just it, 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 it is, as you watch, you come on Sunday in this second service, as we get towards July and August, this, this service will be getting fuller. So what happens? The bigger we get, the more we do. We go to, instead of going to four uh, apartment complexes, maybe we get two trucks and go to eight. I mean, it's just the nature of what we do. And next week, we're going to celebrate. I'm not going to do the surprise just yet, but I just have a little feeling we're going to go over a million dollars next week in what we raise. That's a, that, praise the Lord for that. But when we get the bids, it's going to come back more than a million dollars. It's going to be four or five million. And we can borrow some, but I promise you, we won't borrow it to where it's too much pressure. Well, maybe God's put some resources in your hands or mine, come on, that tightens that gap up. What is it? God only knows how many hundreds of thousands of people have been blessed through the ministry of this church in this city and around the world over the years, the last 30 years. Well, guess what the future holds? One more here. I'm, I'm showing you what stockpiling does. Uh, this is a ministry uh, started by Hope. The Rayfields run it now. But, but basically, they ask people of stuff they're garage sailing or giving away or not using. They got a warehouse donated. So once again, when people that we, we know that their Christians are trying to do right, they'll get a job, uh, but they need to help getting on their feet, we'll furnish their apartment or furnish their house. So coming here to this church is not just, you know, so we can have a nice place. It helps us do more of these things. And what is all that I just showed you? It's stockpiling. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand here. Now, let me quickly spend a minute about, about how we stockpile. The first one, as I said, is our tithe. A tithe, by definition, means 10% of our income that we, give to the, we, we bring to the house of the Lord. Uh, Leviticus 27 says this, an Old Testament passage, it says a tenth of the produce of the land or, 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 or a tenth of your paycheck, grain from the fields or fruit, it belongs to the Lord and it must be set apart to Him as holy. So when I look at my check, whatever it is, that first 10% is not mine. If I take that and I put it in something just for me, I'm stealing from God and I don't believe that's giving. I believe because it belongs to God, I'm paying my tithe. The book of Malachi says, verse, uh, chapter 3, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. In other words, God's not looking for four, six, or eight. God's looking for 10%. So there may be food where? In my house. What does that mean? That the needs of the local church. See, the Old Testament, they tithe into the temple. The New Testament tithe is into the local church. It is the storehouse, a place where I'm spiritually fed, where I'm nurtured. Uh, you don't tithe to a charity. Thank God for charities. You know, some people, uh, may, you may have an account, and you give out of that account. That's admirable, but that's not a biblical tithe. Jesus affirmed this, Luke 11, to the Pharisees. He said, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees. You're careful to tithe the tiniest income of your herb garden. In other words, 10 leaves on the plant, they would tithe one. But he said, you ignore justice and the love of God. And Jesus said this, you should tithe. Yes. But don't neglect the more important things. I mean, no, it's not all about money, but it's, it's not nothing about money. It's a part of it. But when you bring your tithe to the storehouse, what do we do? We turn it into ministry to people. That's what we do. 
the second thing, way that we, uh, we stockpile treasure, is we give offerings. And listen, as our heart leads us, but as the Holy Spirit leads us. Uh, where am I getting this? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread for food. Now listen to this. God will give you all the seed you need, and he'll make it grow so there'll be a great harvest from your goodness. So what does that mean? Some of what comes in my hands is some of it is bread to eat, some of it is seed to sow. And there are some things that will touch your heart. Listen, you and I alone can never solve the problem of world hunger. But I can feed one mouth. I can do one thing. One of the greatest joys I have, and it happens all the time in the church, I've had people come up to me and say, I know this family and they're struggling and the kids need glasses and shoes and I want to I buy them, but I'm going to give the money, but I don't want anybody to know. I mean, no, Jesus smiles at that. He smiles at that. I've seen people over the years where they would come in and say, hey, look, there's this, there's this family I know, uh, uh, their house burned down or whatever the case is. I want to help them get back on their feet. The Lord's put this on my heart, but I don't want anybody to know. Other people, when you mention something about children or youth or camp, I, I know people that were not able to have their own children, and that hurts them, but they try to help and bless other children. So every time a need comes, it pulls their heart. So when things pull your heart, that's a God thing. And you send that money up to heaven. See, whether it's a little or a lot, how many know we want it with an open hand? Say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And in my own life, I try to be generous. I, you know, I do budgets and all that kind of stuff. But if I'm anticipating some little extra money coming in, I've got my list, but I want to, I want to do this. Lord, do you have a need? I know someone in this church that built someone a house, a new house, and he didn't even know them. And you know why? The Lord told him to. Well, guess what? If you're doing this and you're hoarding, you'll never be able to be a channel of blessing. And the wonderful thing is the Bible teaches that as we sow into God's work, what will God do? God will cause it to multiply back in our own life. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand there. Again, I said three ways to stockpile your tithe, your offering, and then just basically helping people in need. Let me show you a little scripture here as we head towards the wind-up this morning. Um, I don't know if you... Can you tell what that is? Yeah, it's beans and rice. Now, uh, we have a missionary that we support in Mexico. Uh, he's in conjunction with Larry Myers. But they build churches for some of the poorest of the poor in Mexico. And they want to make sure they feed these people. A lot of these people will come to church barefooted. They're not westernized. And we want to feed them and give them a Bible. And I said, our church, as long as we're able, we'll commit to every church you build. We'll feed the people and we'll give them, and we'll give them a Bible. That's about 250 a church. Just a week ago, we sent for five churches $1,250. Where'd that money come from? came from you. It came from you as you stockpiled in the storehouse, and the storehouse was able to bring it out. Here's the deal. If you were to ask me, offer me something to eat, well, now I'd take a bag of beans and rice, but I'd rather have a red lobster card. <laughs> and you would too. But there's people in this world, come on now, that are grateful for rice and beans and a tortilla. And have me know it's our responsibility to take care of them. See, this is Bible. This is Bible. Jesus said in Luke 12, 33, Sell your possessions and give to those in need, and you'll store up treasure in heaven.
I'm going to close with this last scripture. I hope you got something out of this today, and I hope it made you a little uncomfortable, not because I was doing it, but because the Holy Spirit was the voice that's within the voice. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul the Apostle said this, Teach those who are rich in this world, and that's the guy wearing your shoes today, to use their money to... Use your money to do good. And how do I do that? I'm rich in good works. I'm generous to those in need. I'm always ready to share with others. And if I do this, I'll store up treasure as a good foundation for the future so my, I may experience true life, or the New King James says, eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean you're buying your way into heaven, but what it means is it's part of the spiritual process of walking with God. Not being a hoarder, but being a generous giver. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of, of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? And uh, tell your neighbor, boy, this would have been a good morning to go to another church there. I was thinking about visiting. Nah, listen, I helped you. Because you and I are just good people trying to, to be spiritual in a material world. And again, I don't, don't let Satan make you feel guilty if you're able to enjoy something. If God has blessed you with wealth, do what the Bible said, enjoy it. But enjoy it with open hands. Be generous and be willing to give and share. Don't let, let me know that God's not behind guilt and shame. God, when He speaks, it's always a conviction that points us towards the cross and a bright future and getting on, on, on track with Him. But there were two questions I asked you at the beginning of this message. How much is enough for me? And am I willing to live on less? so I can stockpile in heaven. Would you bow your heads a moment and I, I just wonder what the Lord may be saying to you because this really trickles down practically. How many square feet am I willing to live in even though I could do more? But there's something big God wants me to do. And it's not just about big houses and big cars. Am I willing to give up a Starbucks or Coke a week? So I can put a Bible in the globe, a dollar, two or three. It's all about our hearts. And we just say, Lord, come. And when we sang earlier about your presence, we're singing about it right now. Because we don't want to divorce our hearts from the voice of God. We don't want to just know a Savior, but we want to know Christ as Lord. And we don't want to be like that rich guy, that rich young ruler that walked away when Jesus said, Stop talking. We want to have open hands, knowing that you're a good God and you'll still take care of us. In Jesus' name. I want to close with this time of prayer. We'll have one song and then dismiss. And this is this I believe is the most important time of the service for some people. Don't click out just yet. Because God may be wanting to deal with or help the person sitting next to you or behind. We're going to have our prayer team come forwards and we'll pray with you about anything that you have need of prayer this morning. Maybe something in this message that touched you. Maybe you're struggling. I don't know what it is. But we'll pray about anything this morning. But the most important thing we'd like to pray about is your personal relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I don't even know if I died today if I'd go to heaven or hell. You can be sure, friend. Jesus Christ made a rock-solid promise is that if we would believe in Him and follow Him, He'd give us eternal life. You see, that cross is not just a decoration. It's a reminder that the sins of the world were nailed to that cross. 
Christ was a sacrifice for me. So on judgment day, I don't have to stand before God to be judged for my sins. But Christ took the penalty on his own shoulders. I simply have to believe and follow him. If I could illustrate it this way, whether you go to church or not, having no going to church is great, but going to church doesn't get you to heaven. We were born as Adam's seed, Adam and Eve, in a world of sin. And which simply means that we've turned our back on God. Nobody has to teach a baby how to say no. I mean, there's just something about us that's our sinful nature. And at some point in life, we start looking back over our shoulder because we know there's a God. We know we should have died or been in jail or something bad should have happened, but it didn't. We go to church and we feel something good, but we're still really walking away. But then all of a sudden, we come to a, a point of decision like right now. And something says, I want you to follow me. That's Jesus. And we look to the, to the, if I can use this as a description, we look to the Christ of the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to forgive me. And I want you to save me. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. And we start walking to Christ. I wonder if this is your day. I wonder if right now your heart's kind of pounding maybe and you're thinking, that's what I need to do. But there's another voice whispering in your ear saying, hey, get out of here. Which one will you listen to? Jesus offers eternal life. And there's going to be someone, when we begin to sing, there's going to be someone at that cross standing there that will be honored to pray with you. We'll not embarrass you. We'll pray for you and give you something to help you live the Christian life. Whether it's the first commitment you've ever made or whether you're coming back to God today, we'd be honored to pray with you. So as our prayer team comes to the front right now, they'll pray with you about anything. But if you're here and you need to get right with God, you need to be saved, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Let's sing this last song and uh, then go to Smith's.